Okay. So our special guest today is Nick Roberts. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I um, published my first novel in um, 2020. It's called Anathema. Yeah. And um, it ended up uh, winning an award for the, the Horror Authors Guild debut novel of the year. And unfortunately, it, it, it also came out right when COVID came out. <laughs> so uh, the, all the marketing and uh, appearances and signings, all that stuff had to be sidelined for the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was a bit upset over that. But um, you know, I, I cranked out a bunch of short stories and I've, I've had short stories published in, in various anthologies and, and magazines and um, on websites. And everything kind of really kicked into high gear in um, twenty May of 2022 when I released my second book um, with Crystal Lake Publishing called The Exorcist House. Yeah. And yeah, that kind of blew up and, you know, it got, it, it went popular on um, TikTok and Facebook groups. And I was just amazed at how quickly that, that book um, kind of just took off. But um, I've also released a collection of short stories that came out uh, um, in June of this year called It Haunts the Mind and Other Stories. Yeah. And currently working on a well I've, I've finished a novel that's coming out in march called mean spirited and i'm currently working on a sequel slash prequel to the exorcist house yeah can you give can you tell us a little bit about the sequel yeah so um i i had no intention of writing a sequel to the story i thought it ended exactly how i wanted it to end and I wanted to tell a new story. So that's why I wrote Mean Spirited. It has not, that's the book that comes out in March. It has nothing to do with the world of the exorcist house. Yeah. But as I got to thinking, I said, you know, people who read the book and, and liked it, they wanted a sequel. And then half of those people also wanted a prequel. They wanted to know more about the, the exorcist um, in the prologue. And, I said, you know what would be cool is if I took the structure of the film The Godfather 2, where it is in the present day, but it flashes back and it's just back and forth. And if I could do a, if I could pull off a sequel prequel hybrid, then that that piqued my interest. Yeah. So that's what this novel is going to be. It's a, it's much larger in scope. And that it kind of weaves together three narratives across different time periods. And it's it's not the like the one set chamber piece that the exorcist house was. But I, um, so it's it, it is more ambitious. I hope um, fans of the of the first one will like it. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, that's about all I can say about it right now. I, I actually just. You know, I, I was working on it right before we got into <laughs> into this uh, <laughs> podcast. Okay, so how did you come up with the dark and eerie ideas in your story stories? So normally, uh, it, it's kind of been different with each one of my novels. Um, 
with anathema it's the protagonist is a is a, is a young woman who's in recovery from uh, drug addiction and you know in, in my home state of west virginia the opioid epidemic is just running rampant there's there are so many people who are in recovery and there are a lot of people who are struggling with addiction yeah. and, uh, and i wanted to depict a, a protagonist who had a solid foundation in recovery and whose character arc wasn't just will she or will she not stay sober because that's all that's the only depiction I, I would see whenever I would watch like a movie or TV show about a person in recovery that was their character arc can they stay sober or not and from my own personal experience recovery is being able to handle life on life's terms without even thinking about resorting back and relapse. And so I wanted to depict a character like that and have her go up against, you know, like the ultimate evil that I could think of. And that's sort of how an anathema was born um, with an idea for a character. Yeah. So with the exorcist house, it was more, it started with a setting. Um, when I was younger, my cousin had a farm in West Virginia. He had this little farmhouse. And I, I just have like these still images ingrained in my mind of being on that farm. And I always knew that I wanted to tell some sort of spooky story there. And after finishing Anathema with how dark in tone that novel is, I wanted to do a more not necessarily less scary novel, but a more universally appealing, more of a like conjuring or Amityville type of um, novel. So yeah. that's that's what led to the Exorcist House. I had the the farmhouse setting in mind, and you know I wanted to uh, you know have a little fun, make it more of like a spooky ghost story type of you know sitting around the fireplace telling spooky stories rather than the dark themes that were anathema. It's wonderful. So how was the farmhouse? I'm sorry, what? How was the farmhouse? Um, it was charming and rustic and a, a bit creepy. Um, you know, uh, and that's exactly the way I wanted to portray it in the novel. It, it, it's when the characters show up there, they're there to, um, you know, flip the property and, you know, fix it up and sell it. But they sort of fall in love with how pretty the countryside is and how quiet and, you know, the sitting on the porch swing and seeing the beautiful scenery. Yeah. And then, and then that's when, you know, the, the, the darkness starts to emerge and bad things happen. But yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think I, that's why I write a lot of my stories and novels are set in West Virginia, is because it's got this beautiful landscape with the, just this darkness underneath it. There are tons of Appalachian ghost stories, and you know, it's it's. Uh, I like the the contrast of uh, beautiful scenery with evil things lurking below. So what's the most challenging aspect of writing horror for you? The way I write is not necessarily, I never outline anything. I'll, I'll sit there, I'll have an idea or a character or a scene 
or just a mood and, and just and just start typing out a scene. And what happens is after a few minutes, it's like I'm just watching a movie in my mind and I'm sort of just dictating that story as I as I watch what's happening. And, you know, sometimes I'll write myself into a corner and I'll have to, you know, go back and fix some things. That's the downside of, of not outlining. Yeah. But, um, you know, I found that the uh, doing it my way keeps me more entertained because if I outline, I know how it's going to end. And I feel like that's like knowing how, the ending of a movie before going, going in yeah. to watch. So I, I like to, I know that, uh, that I'm onto something. If when I'm writing it, I creep myself out or I go, or, or if I gross myself out, or if I start to think about an idea, you know, in a, in a way that I previously hadn't, then I know that from an audience or a reader's perspective that they could potentially feel that. So, um, yeah, so that, that's sort of my process is to just, uh, have fun with it you know if it's yeah. once it starts to feel like a chore or a challenge then it's it's uh it, you know i'm not going to do it anymore but i guess the early on the the most challenging aspect was developing sort of a militant routine with writing and um when i'm when i'm actually writing a novel i i, I make myself write a thousand words per day for um, you know, and after ninety days, I generally have a first draft of a manuscript. So that I guess, like getting in the habit of forcing myself every day to crank out a thousand words, that was challenging. But now it's like if I don't do that, you know, I feel like something's out of whack. Yeah, I, I suppose you've got to enjoy what you're doing. Um, if you don't. You- as you say, it becomes a chore and then you don't get the best of what you want to write coming out of you. Absolutely. Yeah. If it, I, I noticed that like it, I, I write a lot at night um, just because that's when everyone else in my household is asleep and quiet and I have time to myself. I'd much rather write during the day when I'm more alert and awake, but I've noticed that, you know, sometimes when it's a little too late and I'm writing and I'm just trying to get to that word count of a thousand words. My, the, uh, the, the quality of my writing, um, might decrease a little bit because I start to pad it with more words and it becomes fluffier. And then the next day when I go back and reread like the last few pages, I'll be like, well, there's a lot of extra words in here I need to trim this fat off real quick and, and, and fix it. So, um, yeah, that, that can happen. But yeah, other than, you know, I I just I love to write because I like to go into the worlds that I can create. And I like to bring those worlds into reality for my readers. Yeah. So I know you sort of like um, spoke about it, uh, about scaring yourself or weirding yourself out. So what's the what kind of things do you scare yourself with and that you write so with um, in my short story collection, that's the most recent um, book I've published. There's a story called Sally Under the Bed that that opens up the collection, 
And I think it's the scariest thing I've ever written. It, it's not the most disturbing. It's not the most well-written in my mind, but I do believe it's the scariest. And I, I set out with a goal of uh, writing an urban legend type of story, like a Bloody Mary or a Candyman or something like that, because that that stuff really creeped me out as a kid. And, you know... <laughs> Even just to do those things, like say Bloody Mary five times in front of a mirror, that's a lose-lose situation. <laughs> you know, if <laughs> if it works, you just summon something evil, and if it doesn't, then nothing happens. So, um, but yeah, so when I wrote Sally Under the Bed, it was bizarre how I came up with that story. I was in my car, and just like out of nowhere, um. It was like a, a lightning strike or a light bulb went off. This poem was in my mind, like a nursery rhyme. And I just, as quickly as I could, I typed it in a text message to my mom. And just because she happened to be the most recent person I had texted, I yeah. just typed it out and I sent it to her just to have it saved. And <laughs> she responded with, well, that's creepy. But, um, so the story was that, um, you know, if you say this, this haunted nursery rhyme, poem, whatever you want to call it, that this uh, lady, Sally, would appear under your bed at night. And the story's about these girls at a sleepover, and they know about the haunted nursery rhyme, urban legend game, and they decide to try it out. And, you know, when I was writing the scene of those girls sitting around in the living room of like one of the, one of their houses, the parents are asleep. I immediately in my mind reverted back to being like a eight or nine year old at a sleepover telling scary stories and feeling that spooky vibe. And I knew I was onto something with the, with how I was setting up the story. And then once the scary stuff happened, um, that's like it. Like I start to started to get creeped out, and uh, I was like, "Yeah, this is going to bother some people." <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole point, though, isn't it? Being a horror, horror. So you've got to bother some people. <laughs> yeah, and there's so many different ways to do that, and you know, I mean, some horror authors are are there to shock. Some are there to gross you out. Some are there to do everything you know my primary goal as a horror author is to is to leave a lingering creeping thought in a person's mind you know i just because when i read the exorcist way too early in life um that book changed the way i thought about certain things like i had never thought about you know religion or you know a, a deeper spiritual side to my life you know i was just a young kid living in the present moment and then you know, i read this scary story that not only scared and entertained me but it made me think about things like yeah. it made me have like a little mini existential crisis so that's what i want to do i want my first and foremost goal is to entertain and to scare but I also want to leave some sort of haunting seed in my reader's mind yeah always good isn't it and then obviously they come back for more as well because they like the like your writing style as well yeah 
So how important is research when you're working on a new book? It, it depends from book to book. With Anathema, that was such a personal story. I, I did not have to do any research other than asking a friend who was a police officer. I had to ask him, you know, you know, what would you do in this situation coming upon this scene? Um, just minor stuff like that with Anathema. With the Exorcist House, it was I had to. I, I read uh, Milton's Paradise Lost. I, I read the Bible. I read the Roman rites of exorcism. I talked with a local uh, pastor in my in in my hometown at the time because I wanted to get that that aspect of it right. Um, you know, I didn't want to have someone who's well-versed in, in religion or, um, you know, anything like that to read it and be taken out of the story because I didn't do my homework. So, especially when it came to like, you know, there's a scene, you know, in the end, the exorc the, the big exorcism scene where, you know, the possessed person is referring to things in the Bible and referring to paradise lost. And yeah. I had, I had to know those, I had to be an expert on those things um, so yeah, I, I did some research for that. And even with that Sally under the bed story that I was just talking about, it's, it's more than just the, the haunted nursery rhyme and the sleepover. Um, yeah, it's revealed in the story that the origin of this curse, this haunted poem has to do with the Hatfield and McCoy feud. And, you know, I, I had to do some research on that and, um, yeah, so it's, it, it's kind of different with each story with, with this novel that's coming out in March, mean spirited. Um, one of the protagonists is a veterinarian and, um, luckily my cousin is a veterinarian. So I was able to lean on her with, with any kind of question. So she, uh, sorry if you're hearing dogs, by the way, my dogs are out back going crazy right now, (laughs) but, but yeah, so like, in the middle of the night, my, my cousin, who's a vet, you know, she might be sleeping after a long day of work and get a weird text message like, what kind of drug would do this and how many milligrams would I need? And, you know, would it, where would you inject it? And, you know, she knows me well enough that nothing throws her off. She just <laughs> gives me the straight facts and, you know, helped me out immensely with that. That's good. It's lucky you're not someone who's actually going around doing these things to actual people, though, isn't it, really, if she's giving you all this advice? <laughs> right. Right, yeah. If you if you looked at my Google search history, it, it might raise some eyebrows if people didn't know I was a horror author. <laughs> I'll say the same thing when... Uh... If so, I, say, I normally say that if something happened to my husband and the police were to have a look at my Google history, then they'd obviously consider me as a suspect. <laughs> yeah. So, like, there, there, there's one story I read that has, like, an accidental hunting uh, shooting. There's an accidental shooting. And I needed to know the laws, you know, like what would happen to a person legally if they accidentally shot another person while hunting. And so I had, you know, I searched it in Google and then I, you know, I had to reach out to one of my friends who's a lawyer 
and you know kind of vet that information but yeah just randomly googling what are the punishments for accidentally shooting someone in the woods and then <laughs> you know i have tons of stuff like that on there so what authors have influenced your your works i would say mostly Honestly, it's less horror authors than it is uh, non-genre authors like uh, Cormac McCarthy, who just passed. Um, yeah, he he was Stephen King's obviously my favorite author, uh, but um, Cormac is a very very close second. And you know, with his books like No Country for Old Men and Blood Meridian, you know the way he wrote. Um, alternating between like a minimalist style like Hemingway and then also just going on long tangents like Faulkner um, that that flexibility and uh, with his prose inspired me and there's you know sometimes he just doesn't even use punctuation so that inspired me to to get creative and um you know you have to know the rules in order to break them but uh yeah that reading a lot of cormac influenced me clive barker definitely in that he is completely unapologetic in his writing and you're either going to love it or hate it but you know he's he's not going to hold back on a scene if it serves the narrative so there's there are a couple of scenes in my books that I do not hold back on, and people have, you know, responded to those scenes, and um, those are the ones that stick with them. And yeah, you know, and it's because you know, like as I was writing this one particular scene in Anathema, I was seeing it happen in my mind, and I was trying to write it as accurately as possible without being gratuitous. And, um, yeah, I heard, I heard, uh, <laughs> Clive in my head say, don't hold back. So like, so I kind of wrote it like I was writing a newspaper article or a documentary. I didn't try to like glamorize what was going on, but write it matter of factly. Yeah. And I think, that, I think that that's what made it more effective, honestly. So, um, Brett Easton Ellis is also a huge influence on, on my writing. Clive Barker doesn't hold back to see. He's quite dark in what he writes as well. Yeah, and he can he can write the most violent, disgusting things in the most beautiful way. Like his his prose are are, are I would just call them grotesque, but I mean it's he, he he it's poetry and words he just uses blood and guts as his painting materials <laughs> he does so are there any memorable reactions from readers that stand out to you yes so um i've in both my novels in anathema and in the exorcist house there has been a dog not the same dog, but a dog has been a prominent character, a family dog. And in the exorcist house, um, I, I mean, I, I've, it, I'll just say that in writing 
dogs in my novels, I didn't, I did not realize how much of a huge portion of the horror audience um, does not want anything bad to happen to animals. You can, you can kill all the humans, children uh, that you want, but if if something bad happens to to a little doggy, then they won't finish the book. So um, I kind of, you know, I'm not saying I, I'm intentionally not saying what happens to either dog in the book because I don't want to spoil anything, but um, that reaction that I got uh, ins- actually inspired me to write the book mean spirited. that's coming out in March because I it's, you know, I already mentioned the main characters of veterinarian. So I would say the third lead in this novel was a dog. Yeah. And um, I-, I hope to pose some philosophical questions to this segment of the, uh, the, the horror population. I'm eager to see that. I can't wait to see the response. Yeah, you you can't kill the dog. <laughs> yes, you can do whatever you uh, want. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, you know the general consensus, and um, I am of the opinion that if if it if it serves the if anything serves the narrative authentically. Nothing is off limits. Yeah. And, you know, that goes, you know, for for anything. Um, And I'm certain, and I'm an animal lover. I'm certainly not someone who's going to write a scene of a dog getting like tortured or slaughtered just because I'm like, oh, I know this is going to shock people. I would never do that. Like, I have no intention. First of all, I have no intention of writing that, but, um, yeah, I'm trying to scare people, not repulse people. And uh, but I do a lot of my readers, a lot of Americans in general have dogs, and you know, dogs and you know feature prominently in in my stories as a reflection of that. And uh, you know, I can't if I'm going to write unapologetically, and if, if I'm going to write an authentic narrative. You know, I, I have to, I have to service the narrative above all else, in 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 spite of criticism I may face. That's right. So I know you've gone on about some of your projects that you've got coming out. Um, have you got any other projects or releases that you're really excited about? Uh, yeah, um, I actually have uh, assigned the audiobook rights to Anathema um, recently, and uh, the people at Tantor Media have been busy putting that together, and Joe Hempel, who is a very, very good uh, audiobook narrator, he is, um, he is finished with it, and he um, we're going to release the Anathema audiobook on Halloween, actually, so Looking forward to that. And I also um, signed a deal to write a sequel to Anathema, which I will begin after I finish the Exorcist prequel sequel. Yeah. And always, I'm always writing short stories for different anthologies and stuff like that. 
Fantastic. So what advice would you give to aspiring horror writers? Um, Step one, I would say read On Writing by Stephen King because that has the best advice, the best inspiration, motivation, everything wrapped up into a nice thin little book that'll, uh, that'll pick you up whenever you feel like quitting. And, um, so, but my advice is to, you know, for me, what, what, what kept me from writing a novel for so long was I would tire out on it. And, uh, once I, um, I, I've started, um, once I became a teacher and I had my first summer vacation, I had my first summer off, I, I was like, wow, I'm off for a few months and I'm still getting paid and I'm just sitting around not doing much. Uh, I have a, you know, I went to college for for English, so I might as well put this to use. And I came up with the the 1,000 words per day and I wrote anathema over the summer. And so that's that's what my suggestion would be. Come up with a routine and stick to it. Even when that negative voice comes up, just tell it to shut up and keep writing and uh, trust the process that if you put the work in, it'll pay off. Great advice. Thank you for that. Uh, So I wish you the best of luck with all of your releases that you've got coming out. I hope they really do well for you. And thank you very much for your time and being on the show. It's been lovely having you. That was my pleasure. Thank you. You're very welcome. Is there anything you'd like to add? Um, well, I'm excited that the Hollywood writer's strike appears to be over and, um, maybe, um, you might see a couple of my books hitting the big screen, hopefully in the near future. I hope we do. I'm sure they'll, uh, be fantastic to watch as well as to read. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, Nick.